Church and Disputes of Faith. I'm reading Romans chapter 14 today, the entire chapter. I'll just read verse 1 and I'll make comments as we go. Verse 1 says, Accept and receive those who are weak in the faith, though not with a view to settling disputes. Don't criticise them for having different ideas from yours about what is right and wrong. When Paul wrote his only letter to the church in Rome, he had never been there and he didn't get to go there for many years to come. The Roman church was a mixture of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and there were disputes going on between the groups about how to honour God. The Jewish Christians believed that they had to stay faithful to the Old Testament food laws about abstaining from meat and to the observance of all the Jewish Sabbaths. While the Gentile Christians were growing in a robust New Testament faith with freedom in the simplicity that was in Christ. Each group had a differently developed conscience regarding the rights and wrongs of the practice of Christianity. And harsh and unloving judgment of one another was going on between them. So today we're essentially talking about the matter of conscience, what is right and what is wrong. And that is something that only God knows what is in a person's heart as they judge their own conscience and what their motive is. Paul had been among the most learned of Jewish teachers and he was also the one that God had given revelation to concerning the gospel of Christ as the saviour of the whole world. So he was the one chosen by God to address these critical issues of religious division. Paul wanted to see the Jewish Christians become stronger in faith in the simplicity of Christ. And he wanted the Gentile Christians to not boast about their stronger faith, but to exercise faith that worked through love. So now we get to verse 2 in Romans chapter 14. For instance, don't argue with them about whether or not to eat meat that has been offered to idols. You may believe there's no harm in this, but the faith of others is weaker. They think it is wrong and will go without any meat at all and eat vegetables rather than eat that kind of meat. Those who think it is all right to eat such meat must not look down on those who won't. And if you are one of those who won't, don't find fault with those who do, for God has accepted them to be his children. They are God's servants, not yours. They are responsible to him, not to you. Let him tell them whether they are right or wrong. Now, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He knows the hearts of people. He reads people's hearts and he is able to convict of truth. And what is right and what is wrong. And he will do that personally with each one. And God is able to make them do as they should. It says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, where Paul writes, It is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is at work to let people know where they are and where he wants to take them. Paul believed and preached the simplicity of Christ and that the Old Testament rites and ordinances were just shadows 
of the reality that was Christ. He himself came under criticism from both sides of these arguments and disputes because he had freedom in his faith to both comply with the Jewish rites or to discard them. He said he had become all things to all men that he might win more people to Christ. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. That's in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul lived a life of faith that worked through love. He taught that the old life of limited human effort passes through the cross and is resurrected into a new living work of the Spirit of God within us. God commends the work of faithfulness, but he empowers the work of faith. And we come to verse 5. Some think that Christians should observe certain days as special days to worship God, but others say every day is alike and it belongs to God. On questions of this kind, everyone must decide for himself in his own mind. So Paul puts a challenge to them there. That's quite a challenge. You decide for yourself in your own mind, and that's where we get the conscience. And that word mind there, noose, is a description of the conscience. And it is described as the intellectual understanding and reason, as the capacity for spiritual truth, and the higher powers of the soul, and the faculty of perceiving divine things, and of recognizing good and evil. The other Greek word for conscience in the Bible is synodesis, which means to perceive a notion of something in dialogue with one's own mind. Sun or sun means with, and deasis is the dialogue in the mind. And we go to verse 6. If you have special days for worshipping the Lord, you're trying to honour him. So you are doing a good thing. So is the person who eats meat that has been offered to idols. He's thankful to the Lord for his provision, and he's doing right. And the person who won't touch such meat, he too is anxious to please the Lord, and is thankful. We are not our own masters to live or die as we ourselves might choose. Living or dying, we follow the Lord. Either way, we are his. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, so that he can be our Lord both while we live and when we die. You have no right to criticise your brother or look down on him. Each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God and will give account of himself to God. Paul adds in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, And the inner motivations of the hearts will be revealed. The Jewish Christians observed the Old Testament commandment of Sabbath days of gathering together as a time of resting from all worldly labor and effort in order to honor God. The Gentile Christians mostly observed Sunday for gathering together to worship and share fellowship. This is from the very beginning. They would break bread and have prayer and there was the preaching of the word because Sunday came to be called the Lord's Day by the first Christians in the book of Acts. It replaced the Jewish Sabbath to honour the day that Jesus rose from the dead, on the first day of the week. And it was the day on which Paul directed them to give their tithes and offerings to the Lord. 
Paul would preach in the synagogues on the Saturdays whenever he had an opportunity in his travels, wherever he went, and he would gather with Christian Gentiles on a Sunday. But Paul really saw every day as a Sabbath day of resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ by living to the Lord and with the Lord day in and day out. Not for just one-seventh of the week, but every day. Now we come down to verse 13. So don't criticise each other anymore. Try instead to live in such a way that you will never make your brother stumble by letting him see you doing something he thinks is wrong. As for myself, I am perfectly sure on the authority of the Lord Jesus that there is nothing really wrong with eating meat that has been offered to idols. Just to break in here and mention the fact that Paul said in Corinthians that there is no such thing as an idol. He was actually saying an idol only exists in the mind and imagination of a person. They empower their idols from their own soul. The idol has no power of itself. But he goes on to say here in Romans, and then he finishes that particular scripture about the idols not really existing because there's one God and one Lord. And he says, but not all have this knowledge. Conscience is about having knowledge of something, the knowledge that you've been given and that you trust in and that empowers your life. So then Paul goes on to say, but if someone believes it is wrong to eat the meat that has been offered to idols, then he shouldn't do it because for him it is wrong. And if your brother is bothered by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you go ahead and eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Don't do anything that will cause criticism against yourself unnecessarily, even though that you know what you do is right. For after all, the important thing for us as Christians is not what we eat or drink, but the kingdom of God is of stirring up goodness and peace and joy from the Holy Spirit. If you let Christ be Lord in these affairs, God will be pleased, and so will others. In this way, aim for harmony in the church and try and build each other up. The word for conscience in the Bible is a word of significant meaning for our inner life. Our English word derives from two words, con and science. Con means with, and science means knowledge. This knowledge stems from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the management of knowing good from evil differs with each individual. We noted earlier the other Greek words for conscience in the Bible, nous and sunodesis. The conscience is a spiritual sensibility about what is right and wrong that God places in each person's heart. Then as children, we're taught what is right and wrong by parents according to their religion and culture and community values. So there are lots of derivations of right and wrong right across the globe. And some children develop a more moral sensibility than others, but nonetheless, they can only practice and exercise a good conscience on a certain knowledge of what is right that has been handed down to them. 
So we'll come to now verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That means you don't get under condemnation. I'm reading on. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now that is a pretty much absolute statement. It means that we're all on this journey to understand more about our faith. What do we believe? As Paul was able to tell us, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. He trusted God totally, and his conscience directed him. The Holy Spirit was shaping his conscience, and he knew that a work of transformation was going on. Now, the conscience for Israel was formed by the Ten Commandments, And that provided the most complete and most comprehensive fountain of the wisdom and knowledge of God's nature. It was designed to bring them to maturity individually and as a community. The commandments express God's ideology of relational integrity between us and God and between us and one another. These days there's a lot of talk about people just having their own ideologies. Well, there's not a problem to have an ideology. It's just a matter of what knowledge of truth is it based upon. God has an ideology, and it is the most global and encompassing ideology for all of humanity. It is the ideology of relational integrity between us and God and between us and one another, and that's found in the Ten Commandments. And that can be put in other words, such as, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and your neighbour as yourself. So there you have God's ideology. If everybody lived like that, there would be harmony in the entire world and God's wisdom would be taught and the Holy Spirit would be able to bear witness to that and help us to grow and to become the people of faith and to do the things that please God. Now, under the new covenant, the wisdom and knowledge of God contained in the commandments is written in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Covenant, they had to have the the tablets of the commandments and they had the scrolls and they were always studying them. And I think it is a good thing to study the Ten Commandments, even in the New Covenant, but we're not under that law. But the New Covenant says that the Holy Spirit writes that law on our hearts and it takes time for him to get all of that through to us in different situations. In this way, we become led into all truth, directed, guided and steered as the Holy Spirit arranges learning events for us so that we come to know God and become known of God. And that's the process of growth. The story of the Apostle Peter is an example of this journey of transformation from a constricted Jewish religious conscience into a clear and strong Christian conscience. His first lesson was when he argued with God about having to eat with and visit with a Gentile centurion. And that was strictly against Jewish law. But this Gentile centurion wanted to hear the gospel. An angel even sent a message to Peter to say, 
God wants you to come and visit this person and speak to them. Well, Peter still contended with God on that one because it wasn't Jewish law to do that. But God won the argument and the centurion and his household were saved when Peter went and spoke with them. Peter learnt that lesson slowly because even when he went to the centurion's home and was asked to come into the house, he took one step inside the door and he said, you know, it's not lawful for me as a Jew to enter the house of a Gentile. The Holy Spirit took over pretty soon after that. Peter was also even rebuked by Paul in front of the other apostles. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 2. Because he caused division in the Gentile church at Antioch. That was the first Gentile church Paul had established. Peter had been eating freely with the Gentile Christians for some time. He'd been there with them. But then when a group of Jewish Christian leaders were sent from Jerusalem to check out the church, Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles. He withdrew himself from them. And that caused much division and offence. Peter learned many lessons the hard way, and his transformation of conscience was accompanied by a transformation from his ethnic and religious identity into his true, eternal, and spiritual identity in Christ. Paul was able to say about his own identity, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Now, he was still Paul with the same sense of humor and, and sense of conscientiousness and zeal and so on. We all remain our individual selves, but there is this power of God, the nature of Jesus, that flows through and purifies our conscience so that we know what is right and what pleases him. And it's on this journey where we all come to find our true identity, which was created by God in our spirit in eternity before we were born. As we grow in the freedom of faith and love through the grace of God, we ultimately become the real self that can be expressed through our transformed soul each day of our life. Amen.